0: Good evening. good evening. It's good to be here, eh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, man. I, um, I've been hanging out. I've got these two dates circled in my calendar for tonight and then also um, in December, I think on the 10th of December, 15th of December. Not circled enough, obviously. Um, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to, I have been looking forward to tonight and the word that I feel that God has put on my heart to share with you all um, but before I get into all of this, let me pray and then we'll do some introductions and we'll get stuck into the Word together. right? Eh? Father, thank you so much for the freedom that we have to gather in this place together tonight. Father, we don't take this freedom lightly and we recognise that there are so many of our brothers and sisters around the world that don't have the opportunity to do what we have been doing and what we're about to do and to open your Word and to, to hear from you to grow together, to be challenged, to be inspired, to have our eyes fixed on you and to be drawn closer into your presence. And so for those brothers and sisters of ours right now, uh, Father, I I ask boldly that they would uh, tangibly sense and experience the power of your Holy Spirit. And may you continue to shape our hearts and minds towards them so that we may learn from them, that we may stand with them in prayer and physically as we advocate for them. But as we engage in the word tonight, Father, help us to not just do this flippantly or just out of some sort of routine or obligation. But we are here to to meet with you afresh. So Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence amongst us. Thank you that even though I have never been here to speak your word before We stand here together tonight as family because we recognize that it is uh, the one Lord and Savior of all that we bow our knee to. And it is the one Holy Spirit who runs in and through us and unites us together. And so we stand on that truth and we say, Father, thank you. Thank you that your family and your kingdom knows no boundaries And so we bring ourselves before you afresh tonight and we ask, Holy Spirit, you have your way with us. Transform us by the renewing of our mind and by the invigorating of our spirit. May we be drawn closer into your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so normally, uh, I would be here with my wife and children, um, but my kids have spent the day at their grandparents. My wife has been on a training day with our athletics club, and so I've been just cruising around on my motorbike today, just enjoying the scenery, and it's been really good. I've, I miss my kids. I can't wait to get home to them, but it's been a great day. But I do have a photo of, uh, of these these four munchkins of mine, so I know, it's so good. Um, we, the, the lighting from this photographer was amazing. This shot was taken about a year and a half ago, I think. But, so my eldest, Kalia, she'll be 12 in December. And my two boys, that's Deshaun and Nathaniel, uh, nine and seven, and then little Maya, uh, who's four years old. Um, again, the lighting's really good, but if you were to see them in person, my wife disagrees with me, but um, like my eldest is like the darkest, and then uh, they get lighter... And so I'm like, Rostoffa now, because there's no way I'm having a white kid. Uh, so I said, maybe the ink's running out of the pen. I don't know what's going on. But um, uh, there we go. So there's, there's my four kids. And I've been with my wife for 28 years. I know. Can I quickly tell you a story? Okay. Um, so we met when we were 10 years old. Yeah. Let me explain, right? So my mum used to do, I worked cleaning jobs just to help supplement some family income when we were growing up. And I I grew up in a Hindu family. Uh, My mum was the first to become a Christian, a story for another time. Um, But one of the families that we met first at the church that we started going to um, was this particular family. And so my mum used to take my sister and I to hang out there while she would go and do cleaning jobs on Saturdays and things like that. And this is one particular Saturday morning. I remember it like it was yesterday. I'm sitting down having some uh, party pies and sausage rolls for lunch, and I, I then ask Arnie Duck can I be excused from the table, and I excuse myself from the table, and I go, and I'm lying down on the floor watching some dinosaur cartoon, right? Now, I'm a big basketball fan. I'm really excited that the Lakers are on a roll right now. I'm, I, yes, I'm on that bandwagon this season, um, but... I was like 90s basketballs, all about the Perth Wildcats. I was like the Indian Fresh Prince, right? So I had the short back and sides. I was big up top. Anyway, I'm sitting there watching this dinosaur cartoon and then one of the girls of this family, her name is Skye, my wife. Um, she comes and sits next to me and she like just starts stroking the flat top and I'm like, she's the one. <laughs> True story. So that afternoon on a circular sheet of piece of cardboard paper, I wrote my very, very first love letter and then mum came and picked us up and I ran out of the car up that sloping driveway on 49 Adele Street and I gave it to her and I ran back into the car and I was like, yes! <laughs> and so I go home, right, and then uh, a little time passes and my mum and dad figure out that I'm quite keen on this particular young lady. And so my dad sits me down and he's like, right, so no girlfriends and definitely no boyfriends <laughs> until you finish school and get into university. You know, typical Asian family, Bees don't get degrees, right? You know how it works, right? I'm at home here tonight. And so I'm like, okay, I'll honour mum and dad, that's fine. So I waited until I finished high school, started uni, finished my first week of uni in March on the 11th, uh, 1999. And then on that Thursday night, I asked Sky to officially be my girlfriend and she said yes. And then five years later, I asked her to be my wife and she said yes. And then on the 27th of December 2004, we got married finally after being together like all that time. I never had any other girlfriend. Never. She's the only girl I've ever kissed. Oh. Yes. That's my wife. And uh, here are the products of our love. And it's just, it's good. But no more. No more. Lord, no more. No more. Um, But... A little bit more about me. You'll figure this out as I'm sharing out of the word tonight, but this next slide here. So this was me last year. Um, So I used, I I, I tried to uh, maybe live on the edge a little bit at times, right? And so I actually used myself as a social experiment last year. So I shaved the head and then I did what I call follicle farming. So I just, (laughs) it's crop rotation season. Um, So I... That was during uh, November last year, so I called it a no-mo-vember. Yeah, good day. Um, So I grew my beard out, shaved my head, wore some... I didn't wear Indian clothing for a whole year, Channel 9 sort of took that a little bit too far, but... um, I used to wear like cultural attire when I would go to different places. For example, if I was to come and get invited here to this church, I would have worn my cultural attire. People maybe had never met me before or seen me before, would see this person rocking up at the church and everyone's just like <gasps> People like seriously started freaking out. So let me let, let me let me just share with you one, one of these stories, right? I got invited to speak at a, at a Christian schools teachers conference. I spent 13 years as a high school teacher, 10 years as a chaplain, um, schools and education's like my thing. And I got invited to speak at this Christian schools conference at the convention centre in the city on cross-cultural engagement. I'm like, perfect man for the job. So I, I got on the train and I used to take, I took public transport a whole lot more. I'd, you know, tight backpack and carry my book around or whatever I'm walking with. And I would always greet people, which is just just an Arabic greeting for greeting you in peace. There's nothing religious about it. And so I would do that. And uh, the responses I got from people were often quite varied. Uh, This particular morning, I get on the train at Coburn and I walk on the train and all of a sudden you're getting a lot of these people are a little bit on edge and so there's a lady sitting on the seat, there's a spare seat next to her. I greet her in the traditional way and ask if I wouldn't mind if I took a seat and the newspaper just went straight up. I'm like, I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> so I sat down next to her and then at the next stop, which is Murdoch, um, the school that I was working at, a mate of mine uh, got on the train, uh, his name is Boom, so his nickname was like Boom. I'm like, Boom! And everyone's like, Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> People start freaking out of the train, man. I'm like, no, no, calm down. It's a mate of mine. He's like, who's this guy? I don't know who this guy is. And so everyone on the train got like real edgy, man, (laughs) real edgy. It was an interesting train ride into Elizabeth Quay that particular morning. Anyway, I get to to the convention centre and I walk in. And the the team that had organised me to speak, the lady that had organised me to, to run this particular session, she'd never met me before. I'd been recommended to her. So I walk in there. And uh, again, like Moses parting the Red Sea, all of a sudden just walking through all these school teachers and everyone's just moving out my way straight down to the front of the line. Um, and I go there and I ask for this particular lady, get all the gear, do the sessions for the day. Everything worked out well. I went to say thank you at the end of the day and she came around the front. She took my hand and she was like, Armit, oh, I, re- I really need to say sorry. I'm like, uh, I've had a great day. I don't know what you're apologising for. And she was like, no, no, you see, when you, when you first arrived this morning and I saw you come through those glass doors, I turned to the people next to me here at the desk and I said, what do these Muslims think they're doing here? This is a Christian schools conference. I can't take over here as well. And then you came and you were the guy speaking about cross-cultural engagement. <laughs> and I realised I probably need to be sitting in your session. <laughs> um, but I, I, I judged you and I was wrong and I just need to say Sorry. And so when people ask me, as a result of doing this experiment uh, through the year, and I've done it a couple of times, but last year I did it slightly differently. What are the key takeaways? What are the key things that I've learned? I haven't started my sermon yet, by the way. Um, And so I'd say there's two things that I've learned. The first one is that facial hair is the greatest form of contraception, right? It's not good for your marriage. It's the first thing I've learned. I'll let you think about it for a moment. Um, And the second thing is this, um, which is just on this slide here. Uh, which is that too often we allow fear to dictate relationships and we can't, we shouldn't. We all judge a book by its cover, folks, me included. But surely as followers of the living King, we need to get to a place where no matter what a person looks like, no matter where their hair is on their face, if it's there at all, that we don't settle for our surface level judgment. We have to be willing to look within. We have to be. Because the Bible that I read in Genesis 1 tells me that on day six of creation, God created all white middle-class Westerners in his image and likeness. No, bad translation. No, it says that God created all men and women in his image and likeness. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what music you listen to, except if it's country. We'll have a chat later on. I don't, care. I don't care what country you're from. I don't care if you use cutlery or your hands to eat. Honestly, I don't care where your hair is and what clothes you wear. What I recognize is this, that in every single person that I get the privilege of meeting, that there is something of the image of God in them, the God that I worship. And if I'm not willing to go past the surface level judgment and to seek what that image is within them, guess who's the one that's missing out? There's something in each of you that is divine that only you have because God's created you very uniquely. Don't try and be the second-rate version of someone else, folks. Be the best version of yourself because as you are, you are a gift. And as we share that gift with each other, we get to learn more about this God that we worship. Because there's something that you can reveal about him to me that only you can reveal about him to me. And if I'm going to settle for these surface level judgments, folks, I'm the one who's missing out. Now I really need to get into the sermon, eh? but oh, don't get me started with this stuff. All right. I mentioned I'm a little bit ADD at times, right? So uh, when I read Scripture, I need to visualise it like a movie scene. So these few verses that that Dex just read before, I'm just going to recreate these as a movie scene as it plays in my mind. We're going to figure it out together. And then my prayer is that you will be encouraged as a result of being here tonight. Is that all right? So let's start off here. Let's go with uh, with scene number one, right? So we're going to be uh, chapter 17, the Transfiguration. Uh, in Matthew, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led him high up a mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just visualize this for a moment. The first question I'm asking is why these three? Why Peter, James, and John? There's 12 disciples, right? Why these three? the The only thing that I can land on is this. Um, I was one of those kids at school that always wanted to sit at the back of the class that apparently was a distraction to his mates. And so often the teacher would, would, would move me to the front of the class and I'd be like, bro, you just put me center stage. <laughs> this is fantastic. Uh, the audience is mine. And um, that often didn't work well for me. But I, I feel like that's Peter in this story. Uh, Peter, if you get to know him through the gospel accounts, he is the guy that has no filter. He just like says it and then is like, oh, I just said that and just carries on. A perfect example, right? Perfect example is that time where they are in the upper room there and, uh, and they all come in after being out on the road the whole day and they're filthy. And then Jesus goes around, he's got the towel over his arm and he starts washing the disciples' feet. And Peter's like, uh-uh, you're not touching my feet. No way, Jesus, you're not washing me at all. And then Jesus is like, Peter, calm down. Like, unless I do this, you can't. Can't be with me, It's my paraphrase, movie scene. And so Peter's like, oh, oh, well, Jesus, just give me a full body bath. You know, like he's like, can't, Peter, keep your clothes on. I'll just do your feet. Let's continue. So this is Peter, no filter Peter, right? Front of the class Peter. Then James and John, why these two as well? Um, they, they're also known uh, quite well as the sons of thunder. Have you heard that before? I always wondered, why? What is it about these two that they're called the sons of thunder? And for me, the the story that best captures this is in Luke. I think it's in chapter nine, where again, they've been traveling on the roads, quite a, uh, a regular thing with Jesus as you're following him, traveling along. You've been out all day, walking through some real heat. You get to this town, you're wanting to take some rest. And so uh, the two brothers are like, oh, we'll go and figure out a place to stay. They're walking around. There's all these places and they've got those no vacancy signs, but none of them are lit up. So there's like accommodation everywhere. So they're walking in, they go to this particular place, they go to reception. They're like, hey, there's um got 12 of the fellas here. We just need a place to stay tonight. Uh, sorry, no room for you. It's like, what do you, what do you mean? There's plenty of room. No, sorry. Fine. They go to the next one, same response. Next one, same response. After a few, they've just had enough. So they go back to Jesus, report what's been going on. They're like, you know what, Jesus? It's all right. We got this. You want to just call down some fire from heaven? We'll sort this whole town out right now. And Jesus is like, boys, boys, it's okay. Just calm down. So you're getting this sense of Peter, James and John. Jesus is going high up the mountain. He's like, I've got my classroom here. Um, You three, come with me. (laughs) Front of the class, please. Alright, so that's why that's my version of why the Z3 gets selected. And then here we have nothing short of supernatural activity. He was transfigured before them. The, the idea of a, a transfiguration, think like transformers, right? So think um, Optimus Prime truck to like beast. That's a transfiguration. And so Jesus is actually transfigured before them. He changes form. He's not what he was before. He's, he's something different now. And here's what's different about him. We're told that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. This is like the ultimate Nappy Sand Plus commercial. Jesus is just like, boom, up in lights. What is going on here? And so the three in front of the classroom, they're just like, oh, can you imagine they've been seeing so much of what, Jesus has been healing people. People were getting raised from the dead. Crowds have been coming along. Communities have been transformed. We're seeing some amazing things. There's lots of conversations about this Jesus, his rabbi, his rowdy bunch going along. There's all this stuff happening. And then now he's transfigured before them like this. And they're just like, oh, this guy's amazing. How good is this? Are you with me? All right, so let's go to the next scene. Verse 3. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Something you need to understand about the way a traditional rabbi would teach his disciples is that there was no textbooks, folks. Everything was done around fires and in story and so you can imagine these three, any of the 12 disciples, if they were in Jewish culture, the names Elijah and Moses would not have been foreign to them. These are two characters throughout the Israelite story that are just like, these, these are like two big dudes, man. And like they, they, um, they, they left, they exited planet Earth in some. Interesting circumstances. And it was like hundreds of years before this part was actually recorded. But these three knew about Elijah and Moses. And so with what they had heard, and maybe how they had been described to them as young boys growing up, all of a sudden they recognised that these two other people sitting with Nappy San Jesus was like, that's Elijah and Moses that's promised land. Like that. And and then like, that's him. And then Elijah was like, and then he went up and he was, that's him. You can just imagine the moment, right? And so go to the next scene because this is like, again, no filter, to Peter. Just, just picture this with me. Verse four. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Like, Peter, what's taking place is ridiculous. And all Peter can think of is like, let's pitch a tent. <laughs> how good is this? Jesus, this is awesome. Look at your face. Look at your clothes. Moses and Elijah. how are you, fellas? I've heard all about you. Like Peter's just like, non-stop. And what, what's significant about these shelters? I just said, right, the way that uh, history was taught and culture was progressed through the generation was through storytelling One of the ways in which that helped them to tell stories was when something significant took place, they would build some sort of marker in that region or on that particular site. So when they were traveling through there again, little kids would always be looking out for these stacks of stones or these shelters or these altars or something and be like, wait, dad, dad, what's that one all about? Oh, son, let me tell you the story. Come and sit. And they tell the story. And so Peter's like, Okay, what's happening right now? We, we, we need to freeze frame this. We need to record this. We need to build something here so that anyone that comes up this mountain, they will never forget what's taking place right now. San Jesus, Moses and Elijah together. And we were here. We saw it in person. How good is this? Some scholars have actually suggested that Peter still at this stage didn't fully recognize who Jesus was. Interesting thought. Jesus, let me put a a shelter here for you, for Moses and for Elijah, all three of you being amazing, all three of you almost being equal. Again, some scholars have suggested this. It still hadn't quite dawned on our mate, no filter, Peter. Let's go to the next scene here. (laughs) Oh, Pete. Verse five. While he was still chirping away, Peter, shut up. But while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Oh, what's going on here? This is like the transitional scene in the movie, there's been all this activity. And hype and energy taking place through the scenes, and all of a sudden now, it's like while Peter was still speaking, you can just imagine the excitement on the top of this mountain. And Peter's probably already going and starting to collect stones and get all excited about building this shelter. And then all of a sudden, what was so bright, there's like this overcast cloud just comes through and things just go into that soft light. A slight wind starts to blow through. And they're like looking around, thinking like what's happening? And then this cloud that has just come over speaks to them. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Can you imagine that moment? That would have been amazing. And listen to, listen, watch how the guys respond in verse six. When the disciples heard this, They fell face down to the ground, terrified. Guys, I find this verse six here very, very interesting. We've had Jesus transfigured before them. His face like the sun and his clothes whiter than light. And then we've had Moses and Elijah appear from like, centuries ago before them. And they're all excited about what's taken place. And then in this overcast moment with the soft breeze and the clouds speaking, it's at this point, they're just like, boom, face down, terrified. And so here's what I learn from this transfiguration passage, folks. So often we desire... Miracles, signs, and wonders. And I'm not saying that they're wrong. I desire to see those things and to experience those things as well. But true transformation in our lives will only come about when Christ is truly revealed to us. It's revelation that brings transformation. So if you're seeking miracles, signs and wonders in order for the people who you know that don't know about Jesus, if you're seeking a miracle, sign and wonder in order to get them to turn from their wicked ways and to focus on Him, I think we're missing something. Because transformation in their lives will only come about when it is when they actually get a revelation truly of who Jesus actually is. That is when Peter, James and John fell face down, terrified, trembling in fear. Oh my goodness. There is a cloud talking and it sounds like Morgan Freeman, right? This must be God. This must be. This is, your, this is my son in whom I'm well, pleased. listen to him. Everything changed at that moment. Jesus had to walk up to them and say, guys, get up. Don't be afraid. Come on. It's all right. It's still me. Come on. And then Moses and Elijah weren't there anymore. Oh, it's fascinating. The question, and the message title that I've given tonight is who do you say that I am? That's a critical question because how you answer that will determine how you continue to engage with him. Uh, N.T. Wright puts it this way, and I'll paraphrase him. He says that uh, the way that you view what's about to come dictates the way that you engage in the present. Let me give you an example. At the last school that I worked at, I had a teacher, a colleague of mine, who did not believe in recycling. Stay with me. She refused to put paper in the recycling bin. I'm all about recycling. And so I asked her in the staff room one day, why don't you use the yellow bin? Why are you putting all this paper in the green bin? What's going on? And she's like... I don't believe in recycling. You don't need to believe in it. Just do it. And she's like, no, no, no. Um, You want to know? Let me tell you my reason why. I believe that once everything on this planet is actually properly destroyed, Jesus has to come back. I'm doing my bit to get him to come back sooner. (laughs) Like legit, man, that was actually her response. The same woman who told me, when I offered to make her a cup of tea, not long before that conversation, I asked if she wanted high-low or full cream. She didn't answer the question. She said this, if God wanted me to have high-low, he would have created low-fat cows. <laughs> uh, she's a sister in the family, right? Extra grace required. It's all good. We can still work with people like this. But you understand, like the way that you view what's about to come dictates the way that you uh, operate in the present. So depending on how Jesus, how how has Jesus been revealed to you? Who do you say that He is? Because how you answer that question will dictate how you operate in the present. Because if He's just a, like the song that we sang, and I love that song about being the way maker and the miracle worker and the promise keeper and the light in the darkness, all of those things are true. That is who my Jesus is to me. But if that is all He is, then that's all you're going to seek, folks. But as I read through the Gospels, or again, listen carefully, those things are true. That is who Jesus is. But you know who else He is? Romans 8 captures this perfectly, verse 34. It's my favourite verse right now. And it says there that Christ does not condemn. But right now, He sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and I. That's who Jesus is right now. He went through all that He did so that you could be restored in relationship with the Creator God. The same God whose fingerprint, like I said at the start, is in and on every single person. It's because of all that Jesus did that that relationship for you is now possible. And He's not just doing that and sitting back and watching it happen. We're told in verse 34 of chapter 8 in Romans that Jesus right now is sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and I. Now, do you understand the power of what that is? Is every time there's a request that's made, every time that the, the Father looks down on us, all he sees is his son. And it's like Jesus is advocating for us and he's still in the gap there. And he's looking to us and he's saying, So Ahmed, I got this, I got this, I got this. And he's he's there interceding for us, and the father just looks at his son and he's so well pleased, and that's who he sees me as is his son. Like I am completely enveloped in this Jesus bubble. That's who Jesus is. And as I'm floating around in this Jesus bubble, yeah, he is making a way. How could? But if he's just a miracle worker, if that's all you're going to seek, folks, I don't think you're actually getting it. So let me share with you, as I close, some of the things that Jesus means to me. Actually, before I do that, I will share this one more thing. If the guys want to come and play, that's fine. Um, I will share. Have I got time? Like maybe an extra, just five minutes. Is that All right. No, oh, look. Out. Um, I mentioned right at the start that I was born and raised in a Hindu family. Uh, the reason I'm standing before you as a follower of Christ today is because of a particular lady in our family now, and her name is Auntie Nansun, a Korean lady. When, my, when we first came to Australia from Singapore, my mum really struggled with the transition, right, and got to a point where, with really, really poor mental health, she was suicidal, and so mum was planning on taking her life. But as a good housewife, she thought before she would go and kill herself, she'd better go and uh, and load up the fridge, the freezer and the pantry, one more big grocery shop for the family. So she put my sister and I in the car. We drove down to Sunfut, which is in Langford, Spencer Village area, the food court there, right around the corner from where I grew up. And um, mum's walking through this Asian grocery store, just bawling her eyes out, just knowing that this was going to be her final shop. And some random Korean lady called Auntie Nansun goes up to my mum in the middle of this shop and just gives her a hug and just says to her, you don't know who I am, sister, but you just need to know that Jesus loves you. And mum's just like, who are you? And so like, we're sitting in the car. It wasn't illegal to leave kids in the car back then. Like, mum, mum comes out of his Asian grocery store with a trolley full of groceries and a Korean lady. You can buy anything at these places. And um, come come home. Right? And then this Korean lady literally gets into our car. She goes home with us. Every single day for the next two weeks, this Korean lady is in our living room, what I would say now, discipling my mum. A complete stranger who met my mum on a grocery shop in Spencer Village. So for two weeks solid, this lady's in our living room discipling my mum, sharing about the love of Jesus. And the way she described Jesus to my mum was that he was love, light and warmth. Those three things. Anyway, another two weeks pass, and we can't find this Korean lady anywhere. This is pre-mobile phones, Facebook, email stuff. And so mum's like walking around the streets of like Thornley, just... How do you describe a Korean lady? She's short and Asian looking. Like, oh, that narrows it down. So but we can't find her anywhere. But for the next two weeks, it's like there's less bottles being left out on the kitchen bench. Mum's like, mum's changing, man. Our family was really different. And then one night, I remember waking up, my sister and I were sharing a room to this, to my mother screaming. I was 10 years old. My mum was screaming and it lasted for ages probably about it felt like ages but it was about five or ten minutes came out of my room dad comes out son go back to bed your mum's fine I'm like no mum's not fine what the heck is going on we was just freaking out right anyway the screaming stopped and the next thing was my mum running out of her room this small three by one house in Thornhill, these old wooden floorboards and she was just running through the house and she's like I'm free I'm free I'm free i like I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared. So the next morning we're sitting down, I'm smashing down my wheat beats before school, and then there's a there's a knock on the door, and I go to the door and there is this Korean lady. We hadn't seen her for two whole weeks. Son, is your mum home? Can I come in? I'm like, of course she's Of course you can. Aunty, Nancy, where have you been? We've been looking everywhere for you for the last two weeks. And man, she had lost weight. She was looking really sick, she, had, like, she was just frail, and she sits down at the dining table, and Mum's like dancing around the small kitchen, and I'm still smashing my weep. like, "What the heck is just happening here?" And then she looks at my mum and she says, "Sister, I'm so proud of you. You did it." And Mum's like, um, did what?" And so Auntie Nanson then recounts my mother's nightmare as if she was a fly on the wall. So my mum is one of eight very, very influential Indian family in Hindu Singapore society, right? And so in Mum's dream, her family were holding on to her and she was screaming because she was trying to break free from them because all she could see was love, light, and warmth and she knew she needed to get there. And when she finally broke away from her families when she woke up and she was like, Auntie Nansan described this whole thing vividly for my mum. And she's like, Sister, I've got to take you to the local church. And here I am today. So, the reason Auntie Nansan was like, we hadn't seen her for two weeks, the reason she looked sick and tired and she lost weight and she was really frail was she had been interceding for our family. She spent two whole weeks praying for our family to meet Jesus a random Korean lady on her ordinary everyday grocery shop took an opportunity to share the love of Christ and as a result, I'm standing here before you as a lover of Jesus. That is the power of intercession, folks. And we're told that Jesus is doing that for you and I right now. What have we done to deserve this? You know what? Nothing. He just gives it to you. To me. So this is who Jesus is, folks. He is outside of time. He is the beginning and he is the end, but there is actually no measure. He is powerful, he is mercy full, and he is graceful. As we read through scriptures, we recognize that he is the, the healer of the sick, he's the raiser of the dead. He's the mover of mountains. He's the splitter of seas. He is the friend to the lonely. He is the voice for the voiceless. He is the clother of the naked, the feeder of the hungry, and the giver of life, water to the thirsty. There's a a very, very famous preacher in the US uh, from many, many years ago, and he describes Jesus this way, and I love this. And let me try and get this right. He says there that the people didn't want Him. Pilate couldn't convict Him. The leaders couldn't control Him. The cross couldn't kill Him. The grave couldn't hold Him. And He looks at death in the face and says, where is your sting? (laughs) That is the man who is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for you and for me. He calls you by name. You are uniquely crafted in His design. Just as you are, there is something unique and beautiful about you that the Father wants to share with His body because of you. Who do you say that He is? Folks, my hope and my prayer tonight is that you would take some time to truly reflect on who Jesus is to you. And my prayer is that you would recognize that He is just more than a miracle sign and wonder, but He is the Son of the living God. And He loves you. And He wants you all to Himself. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much. Father, thank you so much. The way that you love is ferocious. The way that you forgive is like super generous. The way that you welcome us in You, you call us your sons and daughters and you say that what is mine is yours you are heirs to this inheritance we've done nothing to deserve this and yet here we sit in your shadow just resting in that truth Father for my brothers and sisters in this space tonight I thank you for them I thank you for your unique fingerprint on each and every single one of them, young and old, male and female. And I pray that as we do spend time with you through this coming week and we answer the question for ourselves, for who do we say that you are? Holy Spirit, I pray for significant breakthrough in the hearts and in the minds of my brothers and sisters here. That they would have a fresh divine revelation of who you truly are. And may that revelation bring deep and lasting transformation in their lives and in this community here. May your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.